Hello and welcome to the second ever edition of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm Ethan Hammerman here. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. If you did, if you didn't, it's still going to be there. You can always go back and listen to it. This is a podcast where we just talk about a little bit of everything, a little bit of sports, a little bit of society, and a little bit about stuff. At the bottom of every podcast, you'll be able to go to whichever section of the podcast you wish to go to. It's pretty simple. If you only want to listen to the sports part, if you only want to listen to the society part, if you want to only listen to sports and stuff, feel free to jump around. We'll be noting the timestamps at the bottom of the podcast. So now let's get to know our guest for tonight. Uh, Really, really good guy. Really happy to have him here. And I'm going to let him actually talk a little bit about himself. So we have Adam West with us. Adam, how are you doing? Oh, Ethan, how are you doing, man? It feels weird being on the other side. Um, I, I do the hosting on another podcast, so to be a guest and have a host, it feels completely strange. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be on. Um, you've become one of the, the really good guys on Twitter and football Twitter that, that I've come to know. And the thing about football Twitter is that we, I think people meet in terms of like football and then it, we become friends and we realize we have taste and, and, and interest in, in other way and other things. So that's the kind of the, the big thing about, about social media is that, um, I don't like talking about myself a whole bunch. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it succinct. Um, I am a huge New Orleans Saints fan. I actually host, like I just previously mentioned, I host a podcast with uh, myself and Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints, um, beat writer covers the Saints of the Advocate, and we host try to do a weekly podcast talking about the New Orleans Saints. Um, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I, I, I'm, I work in a right now. I'm clearly working an office job, but now soon we'll be transitioning next week to be an actual child social worker. Um, so I'm actually using my degree in psychology to to do things and, and helping people. So that's kind of exciting. Um, married, have a kid, have a daughter. She's five right after this podcast. I got to run and do dad things and take her to swimming practice. And so, I mean, that's kind of me in a nutshell. So my introductions off the way, let's, let's bring it on. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, your tweets are protected. So if you want to follow Adam, got to ask him permission <laughs> first. But he's... I, I will say that they're protected strictly because of the professions that I've worked in. They've always, they've been law enforcement. I didn't start protecting them until I started working in law enforcement. And then once I kind of realized I was going to still be working in a position that I want to protect my identity, you know, let's say, God forbid, I have to take someone's kid away for abuse or something and they want to come after me, got, got to have my protection up. So that's that's really the only reason that that's for, for safety purposes. Well, either way, if you want to follow Adam on Twitter, uh, ask me to stay 323. I recommend him. He's a great follow. He does throw a lot of shade at me on Twitter, but he's a really, really good follow. <laughs> so just to start, we're going to dive right into sports. You said you were a Saints fan, so what sort of made you fall in love with the Saints? Uh, I'll this is a long story. I'll, I'll keep it short. So I, originally, I was I was born and raised in Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Tech is located. Um, and interestingly enough, I, when I was growing up, I didn't like football. I actually hated football growing up. I grew up um, 
being raised by my grandmother, so there wasn't a male like figure in the household to like make me like football. I actually was a huge pro wrestling fan growing up. It wasn't until I actually started playing football in middle school slash junior high that my love for football and the game kind of kind of grew from there. Um, I decided once I, I started playing football and once I started to get into the NFL and liking it, one thing I was I was never going to be a Dallas Cowboys fan because even when I didn't like football, Dallas Cowboys fans growing up in Texas just annoyed the crap out of me. And keep in mind, like this is the '90s and this is kind of this was in their hairy heyday, so they were cocky and it was just obnoxious, kind of like Patriots fans now. <clears throat> Anyhow, I remember on a, it was a Sunday the Saints were playing the 49ers, and this is back in the Aaron Brooks days. And it was Aaron Brooks and Deuce McAllister and Joe Horn. I think Dante Stallworth was on the team at that point. And, I don't know what it was, but it was a home game in New Orleans in the Superdome, and something just captivated me about the team. Um, and I've been—it's kind of been a, a love affair ever since. First of all, I did hear that, so you know, <laughs> I'd be very nice letting you on the podcast. You could do without the Patriots hate. I will say though that you know Aaron Brooks is one of the most interesting players that no one ever talks about anymore. Absolutely. This is a guy who was pretty good when he played. I mean, he has more career comebacks than Steve Young, which I still yeah. find to be an amazing statistic. It's on Pro Football Reference. You can look it up. Uh, someone who really was made by Mike McCarthy in that system. Absolutely. And he got blackballed yeah, after Katrina, right? What was the entire story there? Because it definitely did feel like after Hurricane Katrina, like something was different there. I don't know if it was injuries. It, Aaron Brooks has always kind of reminded me of the case of when he was, I mean, it sounds kind of redundant to say it, but when he was on, he was on. But then when he was bad, he was really bad. And kind of, I would say it was 2000, 2005 season, so the year that Katrina hit. It, it was just, obviously the, the, that season as a whole was just bad, but he was just never able to, to kind of even come back in the league at that point. After the 2005 season, Sean Payton comes in. Sean Payton brings in Drew Brees. Then Aaron Brooks goes to the Raiders, if I'm researched correctly, and then kind of just becomes just a jag and, you know, kind of is out the league. He was He's an interesting case. Like, there was ta- there was an abundance of talent. You know, he was mobile. Obviously, he was a cousin of Mike Vick. Uh, he had a good arm, but he just consistently tended to make really stupid decisions in, in games. I, I, it, I think... I think the perfect apt description for Aaron Brooks is a black, like less talented Brett Favre. That, that is very generous. Yeah, in terms of just like gunslinger mentality and just you know just a poor man, like a black poor man Brett Favre. Like miss Aaron, I don't miss him as a quarterback, but there was he definitely had talent. It's I mean, talent. it's a little bit of I don't want to say lazy, but it's a little bit of like the easy comparison. But how about Tyrod Taylor? I mean, yeah, if he was in today's NFL, I can see him like being a high variance quarterback who makes plays. He's not gonna win you every game, but he'll throw the ball down the field and he'll make some plays with his legs. That's actually a really good comparison. I think I think Tyrod Taylor is more athletic than Aaron. Brooks. Don't get me wrong, Aaron Brooks was no was wasn't any any. He, you know, he was athletic in his own right. I think Tyrod Taylor is definitely more athletic. But yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't you know, golf at that comparison at all. Yes, but then you graduate to Drew Brees, who is one of my favorite quarterbacks, to be honest. I love the way that he looks around the entire field, slings the ball everywhere, his accuracy is on point. 
A fun story about Drew Brees, actually. So I went to Brown, which I think I mentioned last week, but if I didn't, I'm mentioning it again. And Drew Brees, when he was deciding between which school he was going to attend for college, he was down to Brown and Purdue. Because if he went to Brown, he was going to become a politician. And he ended up, of course, choosing Purdue and became one of the best quarterbacks of the modern era. So it's funny how that ends up working out. We could have had an Ivy League stud quarterback, and instead uh, Drew Brees ended up becoming a Super Bowl (laughs) champion. But, you know, Brees is getting up there a little bit in years. I mean, there were some really bad takes at the end of last year. Uh, the worst quarter, the worst player in the Pro Bowl take. That was pretty bad. Thank you, Justice. What are your thoughts right now about the future of this team? Uh, what pieces do you think they need to shed? And where do you think they have like solid pieces for the future? Uh, it's, it's funny. It feels like I was like I was it feels like deja vu because this is something that me, Nick, and I talked about for 40, forty-five minutes. Uh, Last night, obviously, we don't have 45 minutes since it's been on the Saints. But I'll, I'll try to keep it the same. I think the big thing is the big domino to fall is going to be Sean Payton's future. Um, where Then I just want to make it completely clear to everyone that if sh- it's going to be Sean Payton's decision. It's not going to be Mickey Loomis's. It's not going to be Tom Benson's. If Sean Payton wants to be the head coach for the New Orleans Saints next season, he's going to be the head coach. If he doesn't, then, I, you know, I, I don't. There's no way. I don't think that that Tom Vincent lets him go to another team without him getting, pro, getting proper compensation for him in terms of a trade. So I think that's the biggest the biggest domino to fall. Is what what does Sean Payton want to do? Um, Nick and I spent maybe ten minutes talking about just potential shooters that made sense. And the thing is, the NFL landscape. Sean Payton has, has had a team in the Saints where the offense typically has always been better than the defense. And the years that the deep the defense was up to par. The team, the team went, the team went far. The team went far. But what, what situation right now? If you look at it right now, would make sense for Sean Payton? I, Nick, and I only kind of came up with two: the Miami Dolphins, depending on whatever you think of Ryan Tannehill, could potentially have talent on defense and have a franchise quarterback in place. And there's a lot of offensive weapons for Sean Payton to play with, or the Houston Texans where the defense is in place, but the only situation with that is that if Houston is trading, it's probably going to take at least a first round pick to get Sean Payton. Then Sean Payton's not going to have an opportunity to select maybe a franchise quarterback in the first round. So those are really the only two places that kind of make sense from my perspective. After that, it comes to, I think Drew Brees has shown enough this season that he, he, I mean, obviously he's getting older, but he can still play at a very high level. Um, He, he, what was it? Seven touchdowns against the Giants. Uh, just last just last Sunday, he made a very stout Carolina Panthers defense. You know, at times look like just look like another defense in the league. So Drew Brees has, has played well this season, at least well enough to justify him coming back. But it all depends on what's going to happen. Is he going to get extended? Is he going to get a structure? And then there, there's been so many discussions about the Saints defense we have they have to be more there has to be more speed in terms of at the linebacker position Brandon Browner has to has to be cut um a a stud making defensive tackle has to be there and then the guard play this season has has to improve in the offseason that's been a key that's kind of held the team down is lackluster guard play so there it's it most Saints fans won't want to admit it but there's a 
pretty rebuild going on and that's is does Sean Payton want to stay to see that through or does he want to go somewhere where there's a, a situation in place where he can contend for a title sooner it's going to be up to him I totally agree with you on the talent of the Saints Brandon Browner is someone who actually played pretty well in New England but he did make a penalty every game and he's the kind of player who I really think because of his reputation it's limited the way that he can play because referees will always call penalties on him and he still hasn't totally adjusted to how they are being hard on him. The, the sad thing, though, is I actually thought Stanley Jean-Baptiste was going to be sort of his successor. They played really similarly when I scouted Jean-Baptiste, and he's been a total bust. Is he even on the team anymore? I thought he got no, cut. Yeah, he got he cut, was, right? He was cut when the rosters were cut down for the final 53, and he ended up signing to the Lions practice squad. And he, he's one of those guys who, like, Brilliant, brilliant guy. People don't know this. He was a criminal justice major in college. Yeah, he's he's an extremely smart player. I wasn't I wasn't the hugest fan as of him as a prospect, but the, I mean, just that whole the way that whole thing went down, it was just I don't know. It was just very weird because if you remember his rookie season, the Saints season wasn't. It, I believe we ended up seven and nine that year. It was the last year that Jimmy Graham was on the team, and the like the last few games. You know, they we were out the, we were out of the playoffs, and we were like, all right, as Saints fans, we're like, all right, we're gonna see Stanley Team Baptiste to see like what he has. He never got on the field, and the reason we, reasoning that was given to the media was that they wanted basically like his rookie season to kind of be like his red like a red shirt year for him. And I don't know, there was a it was a whole bunch of weird vibes going on from the beginning with Stanley Team Baptiste, but well, there's some weird stuff with that Saints locker room too, which I, I'm sure we don't need to spend that much time going on it, but like. I know Kenny Vaccaro had some weird stuff going on. And then when you bring in Jeff Ireland, who is probably my least favorite NFL executive, uh, the guy's a homophobe, the guy is not good at evaluating talent, he is basically there because of nepotism, if we're being honest. Uh, And actually, I remember, I actually met Nick on the day that Jeff Ireland was signed with the... Saints because it was was at the Senior Bowl. It was at the Senior Bowl, and like they had scouts at the no, they had whoever like I can't I won't say it was Jerry, maybe Jerry uh, footnote footnote that was there, and then like he got like fired. It was it was a yeah, it was weird. It was weird how that all went down. You know, Nick, who I just talked about, he's awesome. Nick Underhill, he writes for New Orleans Advocate, and I know you have a really close relationship with him. And I think that Nick does a really good job of being a really approachable member of the sports media. Uh, he's somebody who I know you feel really comfortable with. I always liked him. He was in Boston. What do you think like sets him apart? And do you consider when you follow a lot of these people in sports media, uh, what makes you want to follow them and want to sort of take them at their word? Like what separates a good tweeter from a bad tweeter? I mean, I don't know if we have enough time to talk about good tweeters and bad tweeters. Uh, it's it's funny as I mature. I won't say mature, but as I've been on Twitter longer, I I've refined my taste. So using Nick as an example, you've already mentioned it. He's he's probably one of the most personable pe- people that's a, that a person can follow um, in terms of being in the media. You can ask him a question that you, and you know he's going to actually respond. Um, 
he we became friends when we just became friends through twitter i'm a, obviously i'm a huge football head and i would say 90 percent of the time i know what i'm talking about in terms of the game of football obviously i never played at a high level but i played it in high school and i played different positions so i'm not dumb when it comes to the game so i i can express my opinions and thoughts on the game pretty well and the fact that I think we. I think last night was episode twenty-one of him um, doing a podcast with basically just a super fan of a team. Like I'm not a media member. Like I, I'm not at the facilities every day. I'm across the country living in California while he's in New Orleans. I don't know that that, that happens with any person covering any team of any any sports, like football, basketball, whatever. I don't. I don't think that that would happen. So I think that speaks a lot to to him in terms of good tweeters and bad tweeters. I'm. Back like back in 2000, I don't know 2011, I think, or maybe 2008, when I first got on Twitter, um, I would any if anyone covered the Saints, you know, I followed them, you know, if they were like a beat writer because I wanted to know everything. And now, fast forward to 2015, like the number of media members I actually follow that cover the team, I've blocked so many media media people or beat writers that cover the Saints because like I'm tired of their bad takes. I'm tired of their they're bad like they're troll jokes like i get that the team is like the team is poor but i don't understand why as a media member you think it's okay to tweet things that trolls like the fan base of this like of the, and it, it, it's happened a lot you know with um saint beat writers and i was just like i don't, I don't have time for this you're, you're blocked you have to get off my timeline so i like i said i've refined my taste but uh, i i wish more people media members were were like nick um who covered the media? Who, who covered sports teams? Greg Rosenthal is another a good guy to follow. He works for NFL.com and writes for NFL.com. Also approach, approachable. It's just it's just a personality thing. I I think if people media people on Twitter that cover sports teams weren't so bougie in terms of their opinion and uppity and, and don't think that they're shit. Don't think I'm like I get it. You cover a, a, a sporting team, but you're still just a person. So if someone is reaching out to you for a question or something, I mean, I'm not saying you have to respond to every tweet, but it, it doesn't hurt you to, to do it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think part of it also is, like, if you're able to get on the level of the people that you're talking to and not just parrot talking points, that's really Absolutely. helpful. I remember talking to you about this a while ago, and you noted that the Saints have an amazing group of tweeters in the media with Nick, with Kat Terrell, who's really funny. Patrick Laybon, who I believe is from New Orleans, but now he works for NFL Network. I mean, yeah, he's one Patrick, of my favorites, too. Patrick's hilarious. And there are some people out there who I really think, as sort of the younger generation moves in, Twitter is getting more entertaining when it comes to the media. It people is, who are willing to sort of step outside the box and be more open to talking about things. I mean, when you have a Matt Harmon, who was football Twitter and is now right. working for NFL yeah, Network... Yeah, exactly. That's great. Leo Howell, he just got a job with ESPN. So it is really exciting to see a lot of these people doing great work go to Twitter and we're still able to maintain their personalities while also keeping it maybe a little bit more clean for corporate. And I think the big thing that you just mentioned in the, the first like census of, of before you started is the fact that people like Nick, Catherine... Patrick, Greg Rosenthal, like once they've identified that, let's say me, I'm using me as a, as an example, is a good person. I know what I'm talking about and I have comments, like I have intelligence. I'm not an asshole on Twitter. And 
it, it says a lot that they're willing to follow someone else back that isn't part of the media, who's just a fan, and who they're willing to see whatever is in my head that I'm tweeting about, they're okay seeing it in their timeline. And, it, and I think that the more that that happens and there's this more, you know, bending of the mind type of thing of just kind of collaborating, it, it, it improves the whole entire experience. Definitely agreed. So we're actually going to move on from sports to the next portion of the podcast now. We're going to talk about society. And when I asked you what you wanted to discuss here, uh, you said preconceived notions. So I was wondering if you could maybe expand on that a little bit, sort of what you meant by that. Well, uh, I think I, I thought it was. I would just thought it'd be something interesting to, to talk about. We could spend the rest of thirty minutes talking about, but we're not going to do that. Just I think I'm obviously I'm a I'm an African I'm a black African American male that grew up in Texas. Um, you're you're openly homosexual, who's a huge football fan, and I think that it's we have both experienced life experiences where we have seen preconceived notions just to the, like obviously every person has some sort of small preconceived notion um, to a degree, but I'm talking things that perfect example, you're, you're openly homosexual, but you are also a football head. And I guess a preconceived notion that I'm pretty sure at some point that you've heard, well, well, are you just you don't you just don't watch the football because of the guys in tights or something like, like some idiotic stupid statement like that? Or for me, for example, uh, long long story short, like my favorite artist of all time musically is Sarah McLaughlin, and I'm completely fine. I don't I don't I don't care who I don't care who knows that I'm I'm proud. I don't I don't care what people think of me for saying it. But as a black as a a black man. Like saying that can be like depending on who who the crowd is is like sacrilegious. Like, wait, your 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 favorite musical artist isn't an R and B artist, isn't a rapper. Preconceived notions are just they just run rapid in our society all the time, and I just thought it'd be interesting for us to just talk about them for a second. Yeah, I mean, I actually have never heard that comment about just watching football <laughs> for like people in in tights. I, I actually, no, but it's funny because I'll be honest, like before I sort of had met other gay people, I thought that there weren't as many, and this is just like something that I've noticed a lot, like every time you're sort of alone and you don't know a lot of people like you, you feel like you're sort of internalized, you're the, you're the exception, right? So you feel like you're the only person who likes these things. And the fact is that I would say that out of all of the people who I've met, who are gay, about 80% of them like sports or love sports. It could be one of the two things. So I really haven't felt that stereotype or preconceived notion at all. But in my own head, I sort of subscribed to it for a long time. And I think that that's something that is also very true, where you, you sort of, when you're isolated or you don't know a lot of other people who are similar to you, you do sort of internalize those notions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was, and I guess that I use that as an example because there was back when I was in middle school, like there was someone who, who was homosexual on our football team. And I mean, it's, this is back in I don't know, 2003, 2002. I don't know off the top of my head. And 
like that was like the, the things that he would get for being for being gay and being on the football team. Like, oh, you're only like you're only playing football because the guys like. I, I've, I've dealt with preconceived notions. I mean, everyone deals with preconceived notions to to a degree. Um, live, living, live, being alive. But I just think that for someone who, in my situation, is African American, someone like you, you're homosexual. We've probably gotten more preconceived notions in our lifetime than most people would be able or most would wouldn't be able to understand. The big thing that I think both of us probably have that might become a little bit more difficult for others is that we do have a natural empathy. When we hear people struggling with problems, I feel that my experiences and my background have made me able to relate to the other person better. And I feel like you as a social worker, I mean, that probably definitely comes to bear with you as well, where when you're dealing with a lot of these kids or dealing with a lot of these parents in general, even like when you were going through school, probably you were able to get in their shoes more and understand their situations just because you sort of feel like if I was in their position, I would want someone to understand me the way that I could understand this person, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, um, what was it? Back a couple of months ago, before I got into the whole thing to uh, become a child social worker, I was in training to work in juvenile, like in, in juvenile halls, working with, with youth who basically being like a prison guard, but in juvenile hall, but the title's different. And going through that training before I got injured, but going through that training, I realized that the, the youth that I was hypothetically going to be spending time with and spending my days with, that that youth could have been me. Like a lot of the youth in that situation, they either they don't have a, a mother in the household, they don't have a father in the household. That was that was my childhood. Like my grandmother raised me. I, I, my biological mother was in was in prison. Um, most of most of my childhood growing up and I've only met my biological father once or twice and I'm not saying this to get a soft story that's just how my life was and had my life been different or if I you know didn't have my grandmother going a different path it could have been me in juvenile hall like in Lubbock Texas you know as a 13 14 15 year old so it's it's I think the two big things that I wanted to kind of just speak on this in, in this section is I, I get I get preconceived notion. I get that we all have them, but it's just I think people just be careful with how you use those preconceived notions. And and fast forwarding, I think something that myself and you especially are a hundred percent comfortable with, and it's it's some of the best advice I can give to anyone growing up that's a young person is don't care what people think about you. It's I once I, I and I stopped that a long time ago. Once I stopped caring of what people thought about me as a person and just lived my life and was happy with whatever, wherever the hell I wanted to do, wherever, like whatever I like, like you, you, if you, if you follow, you know me in terms of my tweets, I'm, I'm very into like, if I, like Dawson's Creek is one of my top five favorite shows. I listen to Sarah McLaughlin. I listen to Fiona Apple. I don't care who knows. I, I love who I am and I don't, I don't care to change that. I don't care what other people would say about that. So as a black man saying, oh, my favorite artist is Sarah McLaughlin, Fiona Apple, Amy Mann, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and this was me, like, in high school and, and junior high. I got a lot of, well, are you, are you gay? No, I'm not gay. I just happen to really enjoy their music. Like, it, it just, it, it's funny that a person can't have multiple layers to them. It have, if, if you do this, you have to be this way. And that's still 
the same way in 2015. This is actually a really good segue because I did have a question. So you are a father, one of the best fathers that I know on Twitter I may add because all the pictures that we see of your daughter, Sarah, uh, she seems wonderful. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. It's a big compliment. So have you noticed anything? She's in school now, right? She's five, so she's in like kindergarten. Yeah, she started kindergarten in August, actually. So, this is a little bit early in the game, but have you noticed anything with her as she grows up that you would not have had when you were growing up in terms of just general changes in the teachers or in what kids are encouraged to do? I'd be interested to see from a parent's perspective if you've seen anything that really is different there. I would say that I'll give you two things. The she has a spelling test every Friday, and that like to me that blew my mind. Like she's in kindergarten. I remember when I was kindergarten, like there was nap time, there was snacks, we played around. Like she has legit spelling tests where she has four words every Friday that she has to take the spelling test on. Um, like her words of this week is that go. I get, I'm just like, at, like when I was five, like I wasn't spelling that, you know, for a spelling test. Like so, that to me, um, kind of threw me off. And then also, I don't know if it's just her teacher or if it's the school that she goes to because she goes to a charter school. But I think her teacher is very eco friendly. And like I remember, we were riding in the car. So I think it was last week, and like Sarah said, um, Dad deforestation is when like all the trees are cut down and blah blah i was like who the hell are you like <laughs> you're five what how do you know what deforestation is like who teaches that and like so those are like so those are the two things i think like her teacher is very eco-friendly or i think it's her teacher not so much the school and just academics at a younger age are more are very more hardcore than they were like when we were growing up because I wasn't taking spelling tests at, in, at, in kindergarten at five not even close deforestation thing is interesting I don't think that when I was in kindergarten <laughs> yeah, I had an idea of what deforestation was that's a little bit outside the like, box we were we were leaving and she saw a car in front of us uh, omitting you know uh, like the guy or from the the fucking you know, the thing, sorry, I'm, I'm not a car person. Um, I came, they, the tailpipe, like the smoke was coming out and she was like, dad, that's pollution. And I'm like, you're five kid. Like how, like, so just things like that just completely, um, kind of shocked me. And then something that is interesting to me is, I mean, I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but it's kind of random is that my daughter is half black, fourth Korean, a fourth white. But if you if you wouldn't know that unless you if you knew that like out you know appearance wise she looks pretty much full African American even though she isn't. But it is interesting to me to see like she's five now and she's she is noticing things um, like skin color and 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 things like that. Perfect example was the Wiz was on was it this week? No, it was last week or the the new one that NBC did like the live version with Neo and, and all that. And it was interesting because my daughter was super interested in watching it. And I was like, like, why do you want to watch this? She said, because like the main character, you know, looks like me and she has curly hair and she sings really pretty. And so I think things like that are, are very like, it kind of just like the light bulb goes off. Like it could clicks. And that, you know, that's something that I don't know that most people 
think about because if you watch television majority of you know that's usually a, a caucasian person in that role and so i think it's pretty empowering to for my daughter to see something like that and she was she was fascinated by it that's that's awesome the whiz was i liked it i thought it was pretty good i didn't watch the whole thing but i had it on for her because she wanted to watch it specifically for that reason i had actually never seen the original one before the one with michael jackson and Diana Ross and whomever, I'd never seen it, so I figured I would take the opportunity to appreciate it and actually give it a shot in full. Uh, the one thing I remember is that the dude who was playing the lion, with David Allen Greer, I think it was, uh, very, he had some great facial expressions. <laughs> that, that was the highlight of my night. I was watching with a couple of friends, and we were all just hanging out and just burst out laughing whenever he made a facial expression. Um... The other thing that, this sort of also connecting back to football as well, but I've been noticing on Twitter a lot recently about, you know, Cam Newton is sort of building up steam for the MVP vote. Odell Beckham, one of the best players in the league. And both of them, I've been seeing some really interesting narratives about their expectations. I mean, Cam, we've all talked about the fake smile thing before. We've talked about a lot of the racial coding with him. He's not really a passer. He runs the ball too much or whatnot. It's really fascinating to me to see how the reaction has been since he's had such an amazing year. I mean, it's pretty clear now that the guy is a pristine passer. And I also think that a lot of it has to do with the... Issues he had at Florida, which, looking back on that team, were exceedingly minor compared to, oh, I don't know, the tight end who killed somebody. Exactly. Uh, And then with Odell, I mean, the one thing I've seen with a lot of New York Jets fans, actually, a couple of Giants fans, but a lot of Jets fans too, is that, speaking of homosexuality, a lot of people are saying that he's bisexual without any proof, just based on his appearance. Which I've been noticing a lot more recently, and I don't know if it's true, but I just find it extremely intriguing that all of a sudden people are claiming this. It's funny you brought the Odell Beckham thing up because one of someone that I follow on Twitter, she's a she's a lesbian, and that and I guess she tweeted like some I I don't know. I, I guess the bigger thing is is does it. I mean, it would be a huge story, but at the end of the day, does it, does it really fucking matter? Like, if he is, like, so what? Like, he's still a great football. Like, I guess that's my thing. Is like, it's 2015. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And the Cam Newton thing, I've said this numerous times in tweets. I hate that he plays for the NFC South because I cannot root for him. I, I can't. He plays for a, a rival. But if he was on any other team, I would love to root for him because it, it it's good to see – I mean, I guess you I guess you could say Russell Wilson, but Cam Newton's kind of different from Russell Wilson in a lot of ways. It's good to see a, a strong black quarterback succeeding in the NFL, especially with all the shit that he got coming out as a prospect, the whole, you know, Nolan Rock, the whole thing. And to see how he's progressed and he's putting on, I mean, he's putting on a great season. He's kind of showing it and, you know, shoving it in the critics' face that – had that been like the whole the whole dancing thing against the Tennessee Titans that led to the letter, if that was any other quarterback, if that was a white quarterback, who whoever, would that letter have even been written? And so 
I, I, lo- I love that he's being successful. I kind of hate at the same time because he's a he's a division rival. But it, the the narratives on on him has been amazing. The the his whole entire career. Yeah, I do disagree to one point that you made. If a player or players did come out openly, I think that'd be a pretty big deal. I've always said, and I've actually talked to people who work on this issue about this. What should happen is there should be a group of players across the league that all come out at the same time and it diffuses the media coverage and then all of a sudden it's a non-issue and people can go back to caring about football. But in my mind, the Michael Sam thing was completely and totally mishandled, but that's a story for another podcast uh, because I could talk about that for at least two hours. Anyway, I think that we're almost at the end of the society part. I don't really have too much else to say. Uh, I would just sort of jump on your point, though. It is really hard in high school to sort of be yourself. I think in college, once you get there, it's a little bit easier because everyone's sort of figuring stuff out. And my thought on four-year colleges is while I don't think you necessarily need to like pay to go to the best four-year college, I do think that going away for college is important because it allows you to make mistakes and learn about yourself in an extremely low-risk environment. And I think that it's really underrated to have that luxury. And I know that for me, like, I really appreciated everything that I learned in college, but also having a support system, living on a dorm, figuring things out for myself. These are all things that if I had gone to the real world right after I graduated high school... It would have been bad. Um, interesting you say that. I, was, I went to, when I graduated high school, I went to Texas Tech for two years, which was in my hometown. And then after my sophomore year, um, just a multitude of reasons led to me kind of just saying, you know what, I need to grow. I need to go somewhere where I can grow and mature as a man and, you know, start a career that I need for myself. And I just, it was, it was either, it was between, oddly enough, it was between me going to Tulane in um, Louisiana or me coming to California and I chose California because I got waitlisted for Tulane and I've been here eight years now kind of you know not I mean I've been by myself probably uh three years and then well actually it's been like two years and then with my girlfriend now wife for seven um but I just you you learn so much by yourself and for me I was I said something that I was that independence I had for those years was tremendous to me being an, a quote-unquote responsible adult now i miss california so much i miss it every day san diego i miss it so much you have to come to san diego and we'll go i'll meet i'll drive two hours meet you in san diego and then we'll go to the best breakfast place in the whole world and i'll take you there we, it has to happen which breakfast place it's called snooze am there's one in san diego there's one in denver there's one in uh, also Tucson, they have, and we can have this debate for another day. You know my opinions on brunch. I think brunch is trash. Either, either oh, you're going to have yeah. or you're going to have lunch. I think brunch is trash. Anyhow, but they have the best breakfast food in the history of mankind. So if you come to San Diego, we're going. Yeah, brunch slander, uh, get off the podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I... What we'll do is that we'll do it on a Tuesday so we can do breakfast and then we can go to Old Town for Taco Tuesday. I think that that's a solid plan of action there. So anyway, that's a perfect segue into the stuff portion. So we're going to start with 
the reason why you first DM me about the podcast because you wanted to talk about rent. So tell me, first of all, when was the first time that you saw rent and why does it speak to you so much? It was, was I a senior in high school or was I a junior? I don't remember if I was a senior or a junior. I'd never heard of rent. Didn't know what it was. I didn't realize until after I watched the movie, it was like a huge Broadway, like slam hit. And the reason I went to the movies, it was, it was my high school. It was me. It was like three of us in our, in our pot, in our, quote unquote posse it was me and then both my other two best friends at the time one was a drum major and then the other guy was a like a um like a the, the lead singer in choir so they were all very talented musically you know musically inclined and i was just this guy who was like who played football and was good like in academics artistically wasn't my thing so we all just, they were like, okay, we're going to go see Rent tonight. I was like, all right, that's cool. And then I was watching it, and I don't know, it was just, you know, it was great music. It's a good, I mean, the story, I think the story's kind of over, story's kind of whatever, but the music is, it's phenomenal. Like, I, the soundtrack, I can listen, I know every song, not every song is a great song, but, um, you know, out tonight like the whole i can i can watch any i have it on dvd it's just one of my favorite musicals by far and one of my dreams one day is to actually see it on in broadway in new york one day so we'll see if that happens don't i'm not even joking it's not the same it is not the same it's awful like i so i wasn't really into rent until i guess high school i don't my family's really into broadway i said this last week I've never been super into it. I've only liked a few shows. I got really into Rent around the movie because I was, like, really hyped for the movie and the songs were pretty good. So the movie was really good. I enjoyed the movie. Then we saw it on Broadway with the non-original actors and it just wasn't the same. There's no one who can mimic Anthony Rapp's sort of, like, neuroticness because he's so neurotic. And then Adam Pascal, like, the guy who played Roger was awful. You got Adina Menzel. No one can do what Adina Menzel does. No. She's Adina Menzel. She actually has a, like, a new show that she's doing that's, like, running for a month out here in L.A. that I was kind of interested to maybe check out, but I don't know if I want to do it or not. Well, you, you gotta. I mean, it's Adina Menzel. I saw her in Wicked, and she was awesome. Nice. So I would definitely say, like, see Tina Menzel if you can. But, yeah, I mean, I saw it on Broadway and it wasn't as good. I mean, the soundtrack is still awesome and it's kind of weird, like, living in New York, I go to Alphabet City a lot because the East Side is... I like it more than the West Side, even though I live on the West Side. Uh, and it's very different from what they had mentioned in Rent. <laughs> it, it's totally becoming, like, very... I mean, it's still kind of, like, yuppie, but it's cool. It's, like, really, really cool to live down there. So, that's a little bit of a different sort of vibe, but eh, I mean, the 90s were very interesting. And the funny thing is that I mean, I actually had a cousin, because I mean, the big thing is also the AIDS epidemic and HIV, which were Correct. really sort of uh, devastating at that time. And I did have a cousin who died of AIDS, and I remember that I was a little bit young when he died. I think I was either seven or eight, not to get too heavy. And so I 
think I sort of knew when he was dying. I remember that my dad would drive me in the car with him when we were, like, I think driving him to hospice when he was very close to the end. But I didn't really grasp the entire enormity of it, I want to say, until I saw Rent. Because, you know, the scene when they're all in the center with Angel and Roger and Mark, uh, it's really, really sad. Uh, when they're dealing with sort of the ramifications of the crisis at the time. And I, I think that that was definitely something that will always make Rent a little bit special. And then also the fact that the guy who wrote the play, A, shares a birthday with me, and B, died before the play was ever shown. I never knew that. Thank you for that little known fact. I never knew that. Yep, Jonathan Larson. He died, I believe, the first night that it was being previewed. That's awful. That is so depressing. Fun, fun, quick funny story. My la- my last semester in college, um, of getting, I was I was taking. I forgot what class it was for. It was um like a the high level psych class that you have to take to graduate to get your degree. And we had to do this huge, big project presentation. Um, I don't know how our group decided this, but we decided that we were going to do two songs in our presentation. And I'm talking literally like we're going to play um, an instrumental of a song and then just come to it so it made sense. And one of the songs that we used was Seasons of Love. And we just changed the lyrics completely around to like the topic that we were talking about. And it was the most, it was, we were awful. We were completely tone deaf. It was me and like maybe three or four other girls who were completely tone deaf. But the professor loved it. And we didn't even know this before we did it, but she told us afterwards that her favorite play is Rent and got an A-plus on the project. That's a funny Rent story. That's awesome. Um, Alright, we, we talked about this earlier, about Rent. Top three songs and the worst song. Um, worst song, was it Over the Moon? Is that, is that oh, no. No. <laughs> no. No. I hate it. I hate it. I hate, I hate everything... Everything about it. I just can't. I can't deal with it. I can't. It's, just, <laughs> it's, an, it's an awful song. I can't. It's not, even, it's, it's not even a song. It's like spoken word. And I hate that scene in the movie. Um, so anyway, let's top three. I would probably have um, over for me the over over you reprise would be my number one because of the note that uh, Jesse L. Martin hits at the end. I can't. It, I go. I just I get emotional every time. It's just it's amazing. Um, my number three would probably be out tonight, and then my number two would be another day. All right, those are all good. Uh, I can't disagree too much. I mean, all the songs in this run are amazing. Every song speaks to everyone. My least favorite song is Without You because it tries to cover too much ground and isn't very emotional at a very emotional time in the play. That's very true, and it's very like it. It's a very sappy song. It, it it tries to be too sappy, if that makes any sense. And then my top three, in some order, number one actually is probably Santa Fe. I I just love that song so much. It's sort it's, of it's like the one. promise of tomorrow, and there's so much going on. It's just great. Uh, and then I'm gonna be a little bit basic. Take me or leave me is just so entertaining. It is. And anytime anyone sings it, it's automatically like, A, you know they can sing well because you don't sing that song unless you can sing it well. 
and B, it's going to be entertaining. And then the last song, uh, One Song Glory. Uh, just because I think it really sets an emotional tone early. Did you say awesome or awful? Sorry, I missed that. No, I, I, can't, I can't argue with any of those three. Yeah. I really can't. Those are... I just, just so you know, when I, when I get off us recording this and I get in the car and take my daughter to swim practice, I'm going to have to play Brit in the car and it's going to be in my head. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, so, parenting question. When are you going to expose Sarah to rent? Um, I don't know. Probably pretty soon. I mean, the, the lucky thing with me and Sarah is that I've been really lucky in terms of I've never tried to force things on her. Like, you have to like this because I like it. I've been very fortunate that, like, I'll exposure to something and she just she's always happened to really enjoy it so the only thing i've i expose her to that i've pulled back on is football and the saints because i don't want her to grow up to be emotionally attached to any football any sporting team i've learned that the hard way i don't want her to go through like the pain of experiencing like a four and eight season like i am right now but like things like she's super into marvel and comic books and like dc and the whole she's super she's a comic book head um, things such as uh, exposure to like Digimon. She she was really into Digimon. Um, so she, the things that I enjoy, she's she is enjoyed too. And this hasn't been, and it hasn't ever been. You have to like this because Daddy likes it. It's you, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. So okay. I've been very fortunate that way. Okay, so we're gonna segue now. So you brought up two things that are major dividing line points. Uh, in any sort of friendship or conversation, Pokemon versus Digimon is a debate. It's it's a it's a debate only. Well, it depends how you frame it. Because if you're talking about the games, Pokemon has an argument. If you're talking about the show, Digimon by far better. Uh, so, what seasons going on right now? Like, what Digimon is she watching? Because I remember watching like seasons one, two, three, and somewhat of four. She watched. I mean, she doesn't watch them anymore. She's kind of graduated to. She, I remember it was, this was probably maybe two years ago. They were on Netflix, and like the the Fox, the show that I watched when I was growing up on that was on Fox was on Netflix, and I think she watched up to maybe the fourth season. And it, it was weird because I felt like I was kind of going through like I was watching them with her, and I was like, I remember all of this, and I felt like I was like, holy crap, I'm going through like my teens again, and. Metal Greymon and oh, just the whole oh. and Ty and everything, and then I'm like, and then Ty leaves. I'm like, oh yeah, he leaves, and that. so it's, yes. But she's watched them all. She actually watched. She got really into Pokemon for a while too, um, but then I think she prefers Digimon over Pokemon because she's my kid. Um, what other things did she get into? Uh, Power, Powerpuff Girls. She got really into that, which was my thing growing up. Um, can't think of anything else right all, now. All all great shows. People forget. One of my favorite random Digimon things that happened, which is one of the best branding deals ever, is during season two, in January or February, there was a Digibull on Fox, and Terry Bradshaw had to talk about Digimon on the air. And I was watching YouTube videos of this, and if anyone prompts me and wants to hear about this, just tweet at me, and I will post the link for you, because it's amazing. But you have Terry Bradshaw talking about, like, Agumon and Greymon and all that stuff, and it's just, it, it's hysterical. Pokemon never did that, I will say that. But yeah, so I, I could talk about Digimon for, like, 40 hours. 
Uh, season three of Digimon's one of the best cartoons, one of the best pieces of media that I've ever watched in full. It's the story is super dark for kids, and it really is just really well done. Uh, but yeah, so y'all talked about comics though. So the other big question is DC or Marvel? Um, I mean. I guess if you had to put a gun to my head, I would I would I would go Marvel. Um, I think they just have more. I mean, I could we could I could spend forever talking about the recent Marvel model compared to the recent DC model, um, but I don't want to. I spend way too much time. On it. I mean, but, pretty um, much what we've learned about this is that we're going to have to have another podcast with just an hour devoted to us talking about cartoons and comics. And comics. It, at some point, this is going to happen. But I agree with you. I think Marvel's a little bit better than DC. Uh, Marvel, when it was created, was made to sort of complexify characters. A lot of the DC characters are really boring because none of them have any backstories. Exactly. And I like, I like some of them don't even have weaknesses. But yeah, with one, one of the, the most boring characters in comic book history is Superman. Like, I just hate his, like, his character is so just one-dimensional, and, like, it's it just, this just bores me. I mean, there are some amazing Marvel characters. I mean, I agree with you on Daredevil, Netflix series, awesome. Uh, I think the Silver Surfer has a lot of potential. I'm hoping that they bring it back and do some stuff with the Silver Surfer. I, speaking, speaking of Daredevil, to anyone who's listening, if you haven't watched Jessica Jones on Netflix, I would definitely highly recommend that 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 you watch that as well. Um, Netflix and Marvel have seemed to perfect like their marriage in terms of their content. So Jessica Jones, I finished that this weekend. Highly recommend it as well. And Kristen Ritter is amazing. I, I have a crush on Kristen Ritter. <laughs> I was. It, it, it's funny because the comment I actually said when. I was watching it this weekend, finishing up, was she's come a long way from being in Breaking Bad, um, and she was in Don't Trust the Bee, The Apartment 23, also a very underrated series. It didn't last long, but it was a very underrated series, um, and to just see her in, in, in Jessica Jones, and yeah, she's, she's killing it right And now. she was in Veronica Mars, too, and not only that, but she was the most annoying character in Veronica Mars. She, she played the really <laughs> annoying daughter of the mayor, and... Was literally her role was just to be stuck up. That was that her is, role, which is hilarious because if you actually watch Jessica Jones, one of the first tweets I, I sent when I watched like the first episode when it came out was that to me Jessica Jones in a synopsis is you take Veronica Mars, make it more adult, make it extremely dark, um, give the main characters slight superpowers. Um, and actually make it really good, and you have Jessica, and it's basically that. It's basically that version of Veronica Mars. That's exactly the description I use. So that's really ironic. Yeah. So just uh, end this on a high note because I also want to bring this up. Even though we discovered that one of us read the book of this piece of media and the other one <laughs> saw the movie, a battle royale is something that we both share. I have to say, and I actually have can't speak to the movie. But the book is one of the most arresting pieces of media I've ever read. Uh, it's totally gripping. There is a twist at the end that literally shocked me more than pretty much any other twist in any other book. 
uh, it's just so good. And all the characters, some characters you only know for about 10 to 15 pages before they get killed, but you feel like you know all of them really well. Which is, I I think it helps if people knew what the concept was of Battle Royale, but I think that, I think Battle Battle Royale was the reason I could never, ever get into the Hunger Games. Same. I watched, again, I watched the first Hunger Games, well, even before I watched the first Hunger Games, I was like, it sounds like a more PG version of Battle Royale. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. And so, could never get into the Hunger Games because every time I thought about it, I was like, this is just Battle Royale, except it's Americanized and it's not as good. Yeah, so just so everyone knows what Battle Royale is, because, <laughs> good point, we should probably say what it is. Yeah. Uh, the concept is that every year, one class of middle schoolers is p- kidnapped put on an island and forced to kill each other until one person wins as sort of a show of power of the government because they live in a alternate reality communist version of Japan. And so in this particular class that the book covers, the main character protagonist name is Shuya Nanahara. Uh, and he's sort of like this rebel character who loves Western stuff, uh, is obsessed with Bruce Springsteen plays baseball, is, like, considered, like, a rock musician in his class, and his class gets kidnapped, and he sort of wants to figure out if there's a way to not only survive the game, but also break other people out of the game as well, so we can save all of his friends. And it's just so well done. Uh, The twists are there. It's gripping. It's just a brilliant piece of literature. It's in English. The English translation is actually really good. The movie, as you've said, I still need to watch it, but I've heard it's really good. It is. I think, I think it, a lot of a lot of people have. I mean, I think people in general still in 2015 will like hate watching movies that have subtitles, which Battle Royale is. I'm pretty sure there's a dub version of it somewhere. I've just never seen it, and the first time I saw it, I think was probably in 2003, maybe 2004. So it's been a while since I've seen like the original movie. But I mean, that, that I think that's a drawback for like, oh wait, that movie has subtitles. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to read to watch a movie. So that's probably a drawback to some people as well. I mean, personally, I think it needs to be remade as a miniseries, and I I would not make it as a movie. It's too deep. It's too deep to be a movie. Like, there's so much going on. A lot of the, it sounds weird, but a lot of the themes that one sees in the show, I'm like three seasons behind on it, but like The Walking Dead, just the whole how do we survive like with all this going on? And like, I, I think that would be really interesting to see in the battle Royal TV show. That's a great idea. Ethan. I, that's, that's good. That's pristine. All right. So, well, now we know what we're going to be doing after this podcast. We're going to make this happen. Uh, anyway, I know you got to run. Uh, it's been about a good amount of time to discuss all the information. Although clearly we need to have another conversation about, all of this other stuff that we yeah, can talk we about even, for hours. We didn't, even, we didn't even talk about music. We didn't even glance at the subject of music. That's unacceptable. We did not talk about music. Uh, but I think for now we're going to be calling it night. Adam West hosts the Underhill and West podcast. Ask me to stay 323 on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining. You will definitely be back. It was a pleasure having you.
Thank you, Ethan. Thank you for having me on. You have a good one, man. I appreciate it. I love being on. Definitely. It was great. And thanks to you for listening. We will be doing this again once a week. So feel free to stay tuned. Keep listening. If you have any feedback at all, uh, add Ethan Ham. Feel free to leave it for me. And otherwise, we'll be back with the Hammer Time Podcast next week. See ya. See you guys.